0: Thank you, guys. Thank you, Frank. It's good stuff. Good morning. morning. Welcome. I hope that all of you guys feel as welcome as you are here this morning. We try to have people greeting you at the door and smiling and trying to learn your name. There's a lot of people here. Uh, please feel free to talk to me afterwards. Or there's several other people that, uh, that we're a friendly church. But uh, if we somehow miss you, I want you to know we're so thankful for every single person who's here. Including all of you who are already part of our family and just keep coming back. We're so thankful. Um, This past week, I got such a cool picture of how God is working through us as a church, how he's uniting us and and using us with the BBS program. So many people stepped up. Uh, There was just a a spirit of palpable joy as we we helped the kids have fun, fed them, taught them, saw the little lights come on in their eyes. It It was really exciting. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who had a part in that at all. we got so many stories from the whole summer, uh, things that God's been doing uh, around us, through us, in us, um, because of us, in spite of us, all these things. God's been moving, and we're thankful for that. But also this summer, uh, we've spent the whole time talking about, uh, on Sunday mornings, we've, we've spent exploring how to tell the story, the story, the gospel story. ...with the way that we live. We're looking at several specific situations... ...that in one way or another we all get into... ...and some that are more uh, specific. This morning we're looking at... ...how do we we tell the story when we're in charge. Before we get there, I want to make sure that we all understand one thing. And that is, we are all in charge of our own choices... No matter what else you're responsible for, how many other people follow you for whatever reason, you are responsible for the things you do and the way that you react to the way other people treat you. Every single one of us is fully in charge of those things. And that's something we don't hear enough in our world today, but it, it's, that doesn't mean it's not true anymore. Every single one of us is fully in charge of that. It's like we are the protagonists of all of our own stories. And by protagonists, sometimes we're the hero, sometimes we're the villain almost. As I look back, I've seen myself as both. But here's the thing. We're the main character of our own little stories. We're not the authors. We don't get the choice to pick the setting. We don't get to pick how tall or short we are. We don't get to pick uh, what strengths or weaknesses we have. We don't get to pick what other people do to us. But we are fully in charge of what we do, the actions we take, and the reactions that we make in response to what happens around us. Those are, that's just something that, if we can lock that into our hearts and act on that, that's going to empower us in so many ways. And it's, just, it's true. It's how God set things up. This isn't a biblical story, but I think everybody knows it. Anybody ever seen The Lion King? Maybe the brand new one or the new one. I haven't seen the brand new one yet for her mixed reviews. Some people love it. Um, but The Lion King uh, is a pretty cool story. Um, I think the reason it's still around is because it's such a powerful story. I, I don't think people like lions that much or, or, or whatever. I think the, the idea is deeper than that. Like This is one of those great stories that we talked about several months ago that all the truly ...powerful, great stories that capture people's hearts actually point us back to the gospel somehow. And in this one you see this. Uh, uh, Simba is born into privilege. Uh, I love that scene near the beginning when his dad is saying, hey, everything you can see, one day this is going to be yours. And he didn't choose that. That wasn't him. He also didn't choose that his uncle would be evil and trick him and kill his dad and try to make him think that was him. He, He didn't choose a lot of things... He didn't choose that he would almost die all alone and be rescued by Puma and Timon. He didn't, but he did choose to embrace the Hukunu- Matata mentality. Are you with me? And later on when he was confronted with the truth and reminded about who he really was, he did choose to act on that and to come back and, and fight and do what he had to do to become the Lion King. That's the kind, that's how life works. I know it's a totally fictional story about a walking, talking lion, but that's how it works for us. There are things that we don't have any control over, but we choose what we do about it. And that's the foundation of where we're going this morning. You are in charge of that, if nothing else. That is absolutely true for all of us. But it's also somehow a little bit even more true for those of us who have any kind of authority at all. If you're a parent if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you are in any kind of authority whatsoever over even one other person, it's even more true. So how do we tell the story when we're in charge? This perspective of starting with yourself is actually very central to how God wires everything Uh, this next passage that I want to highlight is Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5 it's not really about leadership per se it's actually one of Jesus more famous teachings where he says you're going to be judged by the way you judge other people the measure you use is the measure that you're going to be that God will use against you when you judge people and he said uh, don't try to remove the speck from someone else's eye until you've dealt with the log in your own you remember that but again he's talking very specifically about something but you see this same I hope you can this is that same perspective that we start as leaders we have to start by by acknowledging and, and dealing with this stuff that's in us first we have to take charge of our own, char- our own actions and reactions. And then we can try to take other people with us. You can't take someone somewhere that you're not going yourself. That's just a fact. That's how that works. Again, this week in BBS, we, we explored some of those things um, actually with the children. We, we, we walked through some ways that all of us are called into a deep sense of personal responsibility. One of their memory verses was John 14, 15. Would you read that aloud with me? These are the words of Jesus. He specifically is telling us, this is what I want. You want to know my love language? This is it. Let's read it together. If you love me, keep my commandments. Again, you're acting, you're doing something. Uh, one of the stories that we looked at at VBS this week was uh, the, the story of the pearl, the pearl of great price. And the bottom line of that story and many of the other stories that Jesus told was not so much about pearls or treasures or any of those things, but that we've got to put him first. That is one of the most important choices that whether you're a leader or just in taking full charge of your own choices, <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry about that. That, 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 is, that is where it has to start, to truly be a follower. Wow, to truly be a follower of Christ, we've got to start by putting him first. Whenever there's a choice between Jesus' voice and my voice, if I'm, a, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I have to choose Jesus. When it's Jesus' voice and someone else's voice, someone I don't like, someone I fear, someone I really love, someone I respect, it doesn't matter if it's not Jesus and they're in conflict, I pick Jesus. That's one of the most important choices that we have to make, especially if there's people following us, especially if we are claiming to be leaders in the church, if we are taking people toward Jesus. If we're not getting that done, if that's not how we live, we're fooling ourselves. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says this right out. If you'd read this aloud with me as well, he said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love, I love Frank's uh, meditation this morning. Thank you, Frank. Uh, he didn't, um, we didn't plan that together. We, I, I think he knew where we were going thematically, but I, I didn't know exactly what he would do. But this is, this is one of the big questions you need to ask yourself. And I want to give you at least a clue of the answer. A lot of people say, hey, I, if Jesus was standing right there and he said, hey, do this. And somebody else is saying, no, do this. Of course, I'd pick Jesus. But I don't know which voice is Jesus. I don't know. I don't know which. What, what if Jesus is speaking through that person? What if how do I know what the voice of Jesus is? How do I know his voice? How, how can I hear his voice? And this idea, it's understood in different ways by a lot of different people, but it's all throughout the Bible. This isn't one isolated image. We see the idea of God leading his people, leading individuals, leading groups of people, leading groups of people through individual leaders. All of those things, but the idea that all of us have access to leadership from God himself. You see that all the way through scripture. Maybe we can understand it slightly differently, but, but we can't miss that this is something that is offered to us. This is something that God wants us to know. Here are some clues that I, I think would help for all of us to hear the voice of God better. First of all, I think it's really good to see God sometimes as kind of a whitewater rafting guide. That may sound weird, especially those of you who is, have gone whitewater rafting. Some of those guides are kind of crazy people. I, I don't want you to take the metaphor too far, but here, uh, bear with me. <clears throat> A really good guide can get just about anybody down the river safely and help them have fun. Almost any skill level, almost any, they, you could all, they, could, they actually, part of their training is they have to take the boat down all by themselves. Okay, But they, they one way or another, they're good at what they do. They can make that. <clears throat> the really great guides, they also train you. They train you before you get in the boat. They take you out in a l- nice little smooth little spot in the water. And they train you and teach you all the commands. They prepare you. They get you ready. They empower you. They, they get to know you. They find out who's good at what and where you, each person should sit in the boat. They really think this through. They put a lot of planning into it. They do all of those things. However, listen. Here's some things the great guides don't do. They don't pick you up at home. They don't feed you breakfast that morning. They don't drive you to their office. They don't fill, up your, fill out your paperwork for you. That's on you. You've got to get yourself to where they are. If you want to end up in their boat, if you want to end up with them guiding you, you've got to make sure that you go where they are. And, and to get to know the voice of God, to really be able to recognize it, to be able to hear the Holy Spirit when He's speaking to us in real time, the first step that we have to do is constantly be listening to the things that He's already told us. We live in an amazing world right now where you not only have printed Bibles, but if you've got a cell phone, you've got access to not only the Bible itself, but incredible teaching from many, many teachers. You've You've got so much That's one of the primary reasons we have church and small groups and Sunday schools and life groups and all the youth groups and children's stuff because we've got to from an early age, from from the very beginning, we've got to make sure that we are learning the things God has already told us. We're recognizing these are the kinds of ways he talks. These are the kind of things he says. This is the perspective that he looks at the world from. This is God. We we, we get to know him by looking at things he's already revealed, by marinating in it. And little by little by little, we start to recognize it. And then when you hear those multiple voices in your head, in, in, in real time, or you've got people that you love and respect, look at any story in the Bible, sometimes even people that are good, godly, people are telling each other the wrong thing. But the more, the more you get to know God himself through the things he's already revealed, the easier it is on the fly when you're going through the rapids, if you will, to hear which one is his voice and follow it. That's, that's one, one thing I know how to tell you. Read his word. Memorize it. Live it out. Go where his word is spoken. Go where his word is followed. Pray. Listen, give him a chance to speak. Little by little, you will do this. The more you repeat it, you will. And most importantly, even more importantly than that, when he does speak to you, trust and obey. If it's God, his word will come true. That's the test of the Old Testament prophets. If they make a prophecy, watch and see what happens. If it actually happens, then it's God. God doesn't lie. If they're just making stuff up and the opposite of what they said was going to happen, sometimes they'd kill those guys because God doesn't lie. Little by little, the more you trust God, the more you're willing to put everything on the line. Like the Pearl of Great Price, he, he wanted that so much that he was able to, he sold everything just to have that. The more you're willing to bet everything that this this is, well, you know, I haven't heard a specific thing, but you can't miss that in scripture. I'm going to bet on that. I'm going to risk everything. I'm going to risk this job, this relationship, this, my reputation, whatever. I'm going to risk everything on this. The more we trust and obey, the more we just like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, any great leader in the Bible, that's when we really start opening our hearts and our lives up to that clear leading, specific leading of God when he chooses to do that. Before we go any further, we're going to get really, really, really practical in a moment, especially for those of you who have a lot of people following you, those of you who are leaders. But I'm trying to just lay this foundation because it has to start here or or we're going to miss everything that God would have to say to us. But... um, this idea of starting with God's truth, what he's already showed you. We can't miss that. And let like so many times we do. Psalm 25, 5 is a prayer. He says, lead me by your truth. Teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. In the New Testament, Paul writes, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now, listen, now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Remember, who is in charge of the choices we make and the reactions that we make to the people around us? It says, You choose, God has set you free. God has broken the power of sin. He has broken the power of the devil. He has broken the power of death. He's broken all this stuff. He has set you free. You belong to him, but you choose. You've got to embrace that you are fully in charge of your own choices and reactions. And then you can choose to follow him. And the more we do that, the more we trust him and obey him, the more we see that. So now, just a few chapters later, now Paul starts getting, like we're about to do, getting more specific about different gifts and different leading. Since we're talking about leadership, Romans 12 verse 8 says this. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. That's a hard one to misunderstand, right? If you're a leader, take it seriously. Lead. Do your job. Get it done. It's pretty clear. But I also don't want you to miss that this passage, this little verse segment is part of a verse that's in a passage that's about the entire body of Christ. So now we're talking more to the leaders. But again, you leading yourself, please don't miss that. You leading yourself is something every single one of us is responsible for. No matter how good or bad the leaders in your life are, no matter how effective or powerful or terrible and weak they may be, you are ultimately responsible for following God yourself. Don't forget that. Here we go, though. For those of us who are leading in one way or another, number one, remember to work as a team. Remember that especially within God's kingdom, we are the body of Christ. Romans 12 verses 3 through 8 is that whole passage. All of these, by the way, are uh, as usual. They're all highlighted in your bulletin insert. If you want to take notes, you can. But you can also just take these home and let this read through these scriptures. Let it marinate. Let God and his spirit walk you through these. But Romans 3, 1 through 8, it's talking to leaders, but it's also talking to the entire body. Leaders are just one of the parts of the body. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, that's another awesome passage. 12, almost the whole chapter, lines out what it looks like, how the body of Christ works, how you follow the leaders, how the leaders lead, etc. cetera. And then the last verse of 12 says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And then it takes us into 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Has this sounded familiar? And it takes you all, all the way through the whole thing about love is the biggest thing. But especially, especially for those of you who are, God has called you to lead. Maybe it's a friend you're trying to disciple and help them get closer to God. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's someone you're thinking about marrying. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a whole class. Maybe it's this whole church. Whatever it is. People at work. If you're a leader, these things will help you be a better leader. They apply spiritually as well as practically. Let's walk through them together. First, great and godly leaders do three things. I'd like you to read this out. With me great godly leaders act empower and persist say that one more time I want this to stick ready great godly leaders act empower and persist And when I say act I want to be clear I, I don't mean act like pretend I don't mean act like play the role like you know like act on a stage what I mean is you actually take action a good leader will plan They'll see where, where their group needs to go, like a whitewater raft guide. They've they've trained for this. They know what they're doing, and they're looking at what's the water like today. Is anything shifted in the river? Who are these people that I'm guiding today? What do they know? Are they are they little kids or are they adults? Where, how do I know where this is going? They're making plans and they communicate. Is the second part of acting. You you actually make sure that everybody on the team knows what's going on. If you've ever been white water rafting, you, you you know what I'm talking about. There's uh, uh, all down, all forward, two forward, one back, right forward, left. You know what I'm t- how many know what I'm talking about? A bunch of people been, been there. We go, cool, awesome. It's stuff, but they they teach you that before you ever go out there. There's a communication. There's intention and then you lead by example. Here's one thing you'll never see is the whitewater raft guide with a megaphone run along the side of the river. That's good. That's good. Yeah, all forward. You're never going to see that. They're right there in the boat with you. They're with you right in that moment. That's how God leads us, and that's how great godly leaders lead. That's how they lead their Sunday school class and their small group and their families. At the end of uh, William Wallace's life, the real William Wallace as well as the the movie William Wallace, uh, he, he, he got killed for doing all the stuff he was doing. But he was such a powerful leader. All of his plans, all of his communication, all of the things that he had done, the way that he had led by example was so powerful that when he died, his people kept going and accomplished what he had set out to do. They freed Scotland without him. Because he was such a powerful leader. That is leadership. That's what it looks like. James 4, 17 to 26 reinforces this and takes us to the next step. But read this one out loud with me again if you would. It says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without works. So great leaders, great godly leaders, plan and communicate and lead. In other words, they take action. Here's the second thing they do. They empower. And empower means that they respect and train and ask for help from the people around them. Let's talk about respect for just a moment. A modern version of respect the way we understand that word today... is ...it's kind of gotten twisted. We have this idea that if you respect someone... ...that there is no possible way you can entertain the thought... ...that you're actually better at them at something... ...or that they're better than you at something... ...or that something that they know might be truer... ...than something you know... ...that they might have a right answer and you're wrong... ...or that you have the right answer and they're wrong. If you respect somebody... ...then you're 100% equal in every possible way. That's, that's ridiculous... All of us are equal in worth. All of us are equal before God. We're not even all the same height or the same age. We don't have the same experiences. We don't have the same skill sets. We don't have the same anything. How could we possibly be 100% equal as far as those things go? If you've been to school for 10 years longer than I have, there's no way I know as much as you know. There's no way. It's ridiculous if you tried to pretend that. We're equal before God. We're equal as far as our worth. Some of us, though, are better at different things. And great leaders, here's what they do. They realize that some of the people on their team are going to be better than them at the thing they're training them to do. They train them even harder. They push them even harder. They're not threatened by that. They're like, yeah, awesome. You can do that. Woo, we got somebody like that on our team. They they take their own ego and their own craziness out of of it. Their own self-worth and the self-worth of the people on their team is out of the picture. It's, we've got to get this done. True respect is acknowledging who's really better. It's saying, you know what, I do know. At this moment in time, I do know. Better than you. My son, Justice, just recently got taller than me. It's been in the last couple months, and now he's quite a bit taller than me. It's, I think it's going to increase the margin as time goes by. But for the last couple years, uh, we had to, like, at Christmas time, we'd have to shove him up into this little closet area thing that we have to get where we hide our Christmas trees and stuff. And I'd be like, hey, enjoy this, buddy. You're, you're, you're the, very much the smallest right now, but that's probably going to change. I don't respect him any more or less for his size for any reason ever. But the little small kid is gone. We're going to have to borrow somebody this Christmas. Are you with me? But, but, but we respect. There was a respect that, that was, he was the only one who could fit up there. He was the easiest one to lift up. That's respect. Now there's respect that, hey, you're the tallest one. Maybe, maybe you shove me up there. I'm the shortest now. Respect is just being honest, it's being real. It's also respecting the people enough to train them. If you want to know what this looks like, watch any sports movie ever. Any great sports movie. Hoosiers, I got a picture from Hoosiers up there. Any any, any sports movie though, it's going to have almost the same plot. There's always going to be a coach in there that understands these things. A coach who respects his players... A coach who trains them realizes that without his or her help that they are not going to reach their potential. Not because they're idiots and terrible and not worth anything, but because they're the team and he's the coach or she's the coach. They realize this, they get this and they take them. They go, hey, wow, you can do that. Oh, you get that job. You can do that. Woo, let's do this. And, and, and eventually you see this and then they ask. For their help. They don't force them. It's not an angry thing. It's not a you will slam dunk in this next play. It's a come on, dude, you know you can. It's a totally different way of doing things. In Ephesians, Paul starts out talking to leaders by reminding the whole church, the whole body of Christ, that it's all about humility and unity that's based in God. He said that our unity and our humility has to be based on the fact that we have, and I'm quoting this part, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And after reminding everyone of that, then he starts talking to the leaders and he starts listing all the specific leadership roles. I'd like you to read this, these two verses with me outside because this is what he said. This is the purpose of all those goal, all those gifts that God gives us about leadership, let's read this together out loud. Their responsibility. Let me pause for a second. We're going to change one word, not because I want to change the Bible. I just want to make sure we get this. There is talking about leaders, okay? And that means you leading yourself, and that means you leading your whatever group you're leading, okay? So we're going to say the word leaders instead of there. Here we go. Leaders' responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Seriously? That's what we have to do as Christian leaders? Is that possible? It has to be or he wouldn't have given us that job. At least it's possible to aim for that and take everybody with you. At least it's got to be possible to say that is the vision and I will trade anything to go there. I will do anything to go there. I will do anything and I will bring people with me. Great leaders, great godly leaders also persist. They act and they learn and they repeat over and over and over again. They do what's necessary, they keep going. They train, they they realize there's more training needed, they train more. They they keep going, they keep going, they keep going. Great godly leaders don't give up ever. Joseph is one that we have gone through uh, his story so many times this summer and there's a good reason. Joseph... Uh, was at every stage of his life, he had an opportunity to just give up that nobody would have blamed him for. If I were him, I would have felt really justified. If you were him, I would have said, you know, I I don't think you should give up, but I see where you're coming from. I get it. I get it. I I understand. Uh, but, But he did not. And that's one of the reasons why he rose to great leadership positions in every situation he was in, even in the midst of slavery even in the midst of prison. He was the, he, this, who God had made him to be. He did all these things. He kept taking action. He kept learning more as he went. He kept taking others with him to get whatever job needed to be done to get done. And as he did that, he became better and better and God was able to use him more and more. So whether you're just leading yourself through life or you're leading a lot of people and literally almost every person in this room is both of those. Some of us just have a few more people behind us than others. But if you are willing to lead through life, if you're willing to take charge, here's how you tell the story. You do all of these things. You take action and you don't give up. One last verse, then I'm going to challenge you and the band's going to come and lead us in a song of commitment to God. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. Would you read that with me? Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. I don't know what choice God wants you to make this morning, but I invite you to make it. You're fully in charge of it. Whatever you've done, whatever someone else has done to you, whatever has happened up to this moment in time, you don't really have any control anymore over what has happened up till now but you have full control over what's going to happen right now. You have full control over what you're going to do, what you're going to do to try and lead your family, your class, your small group, your friends, your people at work, whatever it is, whoever you're trying to lead, you have a choice to do that. If you've got a decision that you need to make publicly this morning, we invite you to come and make that right here, right now. And we will pray with you. We will encourage you as you make that. If you, but I urge all of you to make some sort of a commitment. There's a prayer at the end of your little handout that just simply says, Lord, I will, telling me will as we stand and sing.